welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. I am here today to bring you episode 33, which is also another solo episode. And as always, we've got three epic topics to go through. We'll get into those in just a second. And what I wanted to start with today is how awesome it is just to think about the fact that podcasts even exist. Outside of having the Simply Fit podcast, I'm a huge, huge podcast fan. I listen to one at least maybe every day. I'd probably get through, you know, between five to 10 per week, at least to be completely honest. I listen while I cook, whilst I go for walks, when I eat, and I'm literally plugged in as much as possible. Perhaps I'll do an episode on my top 10 one day. That'd be quite fun. And this morning I was watching an interview with Kevin Hart on the Joe Rogan podcast. And it also blew my mind when I realized he's been podcasting for 12 years. Like that is truly inspiring. But there was one thing in that episode with Kevin Hart, which struck struck me and stuck with me actually. And he spoke about the notion of life being game, right? And he's basically saying the game of life and how basically you go through levels and the levels come with new opportunities, but they also come with many new challenges. And he spoke about how some people will just stay at a certain level whilst others keep asking for more levels and keep on going and going, you know, try to beat the boss at the end of the level and get to the next one, right? So this was an awesome perspective shift for me. Like I'm quite optimistic by nature and I will always look at challenges and opportunity to grow in resilience to teach me something and to ultimately get stronger, whether that's mentally or physically. But thinking of it in this way, in the sense of like, this is just one of the tougher levels of the game was a really, really nice way to think about it. And it was something that hit home. It wasn't just like, this is a challenge. It's just like, oh, I'm moving on to the next level, right? So it almost was like, well, actually, let me invite this because of the next level is going to be better because yes, the challenges might be more challenging for lack of a better term. But the fact is, is the opportunities will be bigger as well. So if you've got challenges coming your way right now, think about it, right? You're just on a tough level of the game, but you wouldn't be at this level unless you'd gotten through all the other levels that built you up until this point. And you can stay at this level. Maybe you decide to go back because you don't feel like you can like complete this level. Or what you can do is recognize that you've got the theoretical controller in your hands. You are the main character of the this game and with persistence, determination and strategy, you can complete this level and get to the next. So I just thought that was an awesome way to look at things and little takeaways like this are one of the reasons I absolutely love the fact that podcasts are so accessible and there's so many of them these days as well. And speaking of loving podcasts and getting little takeaways, let's get into today's topics. The first one will be very helpful for those of you who have children or those of you who are thinking having children in the future. So the question is this. Elliot, should children in general or my children lift weights or will it stunt their growth? 
And oh man, I got my fair share of this when I was younger. I started lifting weights when I was a young teen. And to be honest, due to it being like well over a decade now, it wasn't as normal as it might be today for younger kids and teenagers to lift weights. Like gyms have grown exponentially over the past 10 to 15 years. And this is why I feel the question is probably more relevant today. As I can imagine, more kids will see their parents training. They'll see their favorite YouTuber, TikToker, Instagrammer, whatever. They're probably training and they may want to do the same. And it's fair to say that they will be more aware of their bodies too, which is, you know, another topic for another day because of, I was very aware of my body when I was younger, which is the reason I started. So I can only imagine that just as the awareness has grown and the exposure to gyms and people in shape has grown, that that has gone on more. But like I said, let's save that for another day. So the best place to start with this probably is it, will it stunt my child's growth? And this is probably, like this, this statement probably goes in the same category category of cheat meals. And you know how much this frustrates me, right? So to this day, I have never, and I repeat, never seen any study to suggest that weightlifting will stunt a child's growth. Like even that word stunt, like we literally don't use it in any other sentence, but I don't know why it's just been this like myth and this terminology, this sentence that's just been around for years and years. So let's put it this way to start with. Your child is probably already weightlifting, right? Okay, like, like they might not be bicep curling, but they're climbing trees, they're piggybacking their friends, they're on the monkey bars, they're doing all the th crazy things that children do, and they are putting their muscles and their bodies under load. So you could argue that they're already lifting weights in the form of their body, right? And you know, <laughs> you and I both know that holding your entire body weight on a set of monkey bars is way harder than doing a bicep curl. So where does this notion come from? And if I was to hypothesize, like I don't actually know to be honest, but my assumption would be that we know that kids and teenagers are already experiencing a lot of changes, growth in general in their early years. And what I'm assuming is that people must believe that if you're using your resources to weight train and to recover from the training you're doing, then perhaps you won't have as many resources to grow in general. That's what I'm assuming. I can't say for sure. And potentially another aspect of this is obviously injuries, which makes sense, I guess. However, I'd say that I got way more injuries from playing football as a child than I ever did through weight training. So that kind of nullifies that argument. Yes, there's probably more risk and there's potentially not as much supervision. I, d I don't know. Anyway, I digress, but I'll add to that. I started young and I've grown to a grand five foot 10, which I don't think is too bad to be completely honest. So now that we've taken that off the table, there's no science to suggest it will. And anecdotally, I can speak from experience and realistically, there isn't much rational reason for you to be worried about that. Let's go through how we can facilitate this safely so that if your child is interested, they can lift safely and effectively and not have any issues. So let's dive into it because the first thing here is that if they are interested and they want to do it, they're going to do it whether you've told them that they can't or not. They will find a way, right? If I was told at my age when I wanted to start that I wasn't able to do it, I would have found a way to do it some in, in some way, shape or form. And like, I think, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this podcast before actually, but I started by lifting shampoo bottles and doing tricep dips on the side of my bath, right? And it wasn't that my parents said that I wasn't allowed to, but that was it. I didn't have a gym at the time. <laughs> I didn't have the money for a membership. So I was like, well, you know, I can put these two shampoo bottles in my hand. I can bicep curl. I can do tricep dips on the bench. I can do some planks. I can do some sit-ups. So that's what I did, right? And um, like I said, they will find a way. So you may as well find a way to facilitate it 
as opposed to just tell them that they're not supposed to do it because they're probably going to do it anyway, right? So, so I think the first thing we need to consider here is the child's age, of course. As a child who wants to train at the age of 10 years old is not going to potentially need, well, it's definitely going to need, sorry, more supervision than potentially like a 16 or 17 year old, right? And then depending on your knowledge and expertise, like a great place to start would be to either run your child through the fundamentals if you've got a good understanding or get a coach to do it as well. Like the coach can create your child a program they can run it through them they can run through the program with them they can ensure they're not like left to their own devices and not have something that's beyond their scope if you were going to enroll them into any other sport you'd probably like them to have a coach whether that's gymnastics basketball football whatever kids are playing these days right they would have a coach so why not look to get them a weightlifting coach as well and perhaps they use the coach you know every so often as opposed to every single session and then they have check-ins with them on a month where the coach checks out their form you know they they make sure that they're progressing and they make any necessary tweaks or changes to the program if they need to and if you have the ability to occasionally supervise your child and talk to them about their training and you try to really instill the importance of technique as well depending on the age of the child like you know they're probably going to be doing this for fun more than ego unlike us adults so they're going to be more receptive to things like technique especially if they are a little bit younger as well and this is ultimately going to lead to safer and more effective training so on that note, we want to keep the load light too. If we want to minimize the chance of injuries, like keeping to a lighter load, maybe a higher rep scheme, it's probably going to be more appropriate. But if you do get a coach involved, then they'll probably create a program that's you know appropriate for that child's level um, and, and the age that they're at as well. And as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be all about dumbbells and barbells. Like weight can come from their bodies, pull-ups, push-ups are great options. Like, you know, I couldn't do those as a child and I think it would have been pretty cool to be able to do those as a child. And it builds a very, very solid foundation. And then the next aspect I would aim to instill is very good habits when it comes to mobility and flexibility. So if your child grows up with mobility and flexibility being inclusive of weight training, it's much more likely that that habit is going to stick long term and ultimately keep them injury free. Like I know as a child, when I was warming up and cooling down for any sport that we did, right, it made it feel normal. So if you can get your child into these habits from the get go, it's much more likely they're going to be able to maintain this. And you want to be smart about this too. Like, don't tell them it's like, you know, if, again, if someone says, oh, it's going to keep you safe, I'll be like, meh, whatever. But if they say, oh yeah, it will improve your performance, allow you to get better faster and you package it that way, then I feel like they're going to be a lot more receptive to it as well. And this is also a very good opportunity to start speaking about how eating certain foods can lead to stronger muscles and bones too. I'm actually a huge advocate of parents introducing the concept of nutrition to their children. I know this is quite controversial, but once again, in the world that we live in these days, someone at some point is going to say something to them about their nutrition or they're going to read something online. So would you rather inform them about nutrition yourself or would you rather it be from this article they found online or a kid in the playground that tells them that drinking protein shakes will make them grow a third arm, right? Like, I think you probably want to be in control of that. So if they're going to find out anyway, you may as well educate them in, you know, the, the best way that you can. And once again, if you don't know enough, that's an invitation for you to go educate yourself or to bring in potentially a nutritionist and just say, okay, what is the best food for my child to be eating? There's so many options here. And a couple of final points I, I think are worth making here was that you got to make sure they're resting enough. Like unless you're an athlete, training any more than three to five times per week is going to be more than enough. So encourage those rest days, you know, good sleep, quality nutrition, and make sure your child is, you know, resting and recovering as sufficiently as you can. I think the final and probably 
the most important thing as well here is make it fun. If your child has taken an interest in training, do your best to help them enjoy it, right? It might just be a habit that sticks for life and it's a very good habit at that as well. So that wraps up my thoughts on the first question. So let me know if any of your children and you're listening are getting involved in training as I'd love to hear about it. It's always great when I get videos from the clients I work with and that, you know, they, their child's walking around, especially during this last year when, you know, in the home training where their child's are actually seeing, children, sorry, are actually seeing them weightlift around the house because they wouldn't have seen it before because they would have been in the gym. So I love seeing that. So let me know if your children are, you know, engrossed in what you're doing. If they ask questions about it, I think it's amazing. And like I said, I think we're in an age now where it's almost worth having that discussion nice and early just to give them some context. It's not about saying you need to look a certain way, you need to control your nutrition. It's just a case of saying, well, this food equals this, you know, outcome. You know, me doing this exercise, it's going to make me stronger, healthier, etc. And I think going down that route can be very helpful. All right, on to the next. Oh, this is a big one. Elliot, how do I build muscle without gaining fat? Oh, yes, this is the dream, right? And I think it's fair to say that most of us would like some muscle without gaining fat, both us guys and girls. I know I would, that's for sure. So why is it so elusive? And initially, what I thought I was going to run you through is like the biological reasons of why this might be challenging to do. But I've got a few alternative perspectives and questions to go through first, actually. And I think that that might be a little bit more helpful to begin with. So the first, and I guess this is a bit of a harsh truth, <laughs> and you know, I, I never hold back on delivering these, is that most people, and this might not be you, but most people are not as disciplined with their fundamentals when they're not in a dieting phase. Like when most people are dieting, they're able to see their goal. They see the tangible changes on a day-to-day -day basis. And due to this, they can stay on course and they're a lot more diligent. On the other hand, a lot of people, not everyone, like I said, will end up being a lot more relaxed and maybe too relaxed on their nutrition. Their sleep doesn't become much of a priority uh, as it was potentially when they were in a fat loss phase. They're not pushing their limits in every single training session and potentially they even skip some during a muscle building phase. And I'm a, I am hypothesizing here, but I'd be willing to bet if we took 10 people right now who were in a muscle gaining phase, just random people in the gym and rated their adherence out of 10, the average would probably be somewhere between six and seven. Maybe I'm maybe lower, maybe higher. You know, I might be being kind here or I might be being a bit harsh here, but I would expect expected to be somewhere around there. However, if we took 10 people who were dieting, their adherence, I'm pretty much certain to say that it would be closer to an eight, nine out of 10. So I don't think that it's necessarily the difference in these numbers, I think, but there would definitely be a disparity between those who are committed 100% to their goals during a muscle building phase versus those who are 100% committed during their fat loss phase. And I've kind of preempted the next question here, which is, Elliot, isn't a muscle gaining phase the time where we can be a bit relaxed? Isn't that what you always say? And and I 100% agree with this, but you've also got to quantify what relaxed really is. Like, I don't actually necessarily think we should be more relaxed about our sleep or our training session qualities ever, right? Like, yes, we should socialize more and eat a bit more flexibly, but are you pushing it beyond that kind of 80-20 split of 80% of the time you are eating nutrient-dense whole foods and then 20% of the time you're kind of eating whatever you want? Are you going more down a 70-30, 60-40? You know, have a think about that. And it's interesting as I see most people working harder in a fat loss phase, yet the real progress is made on your physique during the muscle gaining phase. Like when it comes to being more muscular, if you're a guy and you want that, or even if you're a girl and you want that, or being toned and you, yeah, 
either a guy or a girl want that. Like this is your time. This is when you're building your physique. Like this is the time where you're creating that shape, you're sculpting things. So imagine if you applied the level of focus you did in your fat loss phase to your muscle building phase and ask yourself, how much better would my results be? And I think that's a question just to kind of ponder for a second and just think, oh, actually, am I giving as much? Just relate it back. If you've gone through a fat loss phase before, especially if you've gone quite a lengthy journey, you've got a good result, think of it, compare the two and rate your efforts. And I'm pretty sure that most people find a disparity because I definitely have in the past as well. And this is the beautiful thing. I'm never, you know, just coming from my high horse. The reason I'm able to speak about this is because I've been this person as well. So I think that's definitely worth considering. It's always worth being honest to you, with yourself because if you're only gonna improve as a byproduct of that. So I think that's worth considering. And maybe I should have started with this point as well, which is gaining muscle and staying lean, like really lean, is pretty damn hard actually. So the above may sound a bit extreme, like you know, you need to be more disciplined and everything along those lines, but with a tougher nature of a certain pursuit and a harder goal to attain, then you probably will have to be a bit more disciplined, right? So the next aspect of this is why do you want to? You know, why do you want to stay incredibly lean and build muscle at the same time? Like as a human in the modern world, like I totally understand and get this, but if you could gain a good amount of muscle, enjoy your life, go to socials without, you know, a care in the world, let's say, and still make progress, isn't that a little bit better than having a couple percent less body fat? I would always encourage people to keep their condition presentable, which is obviously a subjective word, but as long as your body fat is reasonable, you're not getting into a range that's unhealthy or a range that will actually just make your next fat loss phase even harder, and what's the problem with this? Like, I actually think that going through this can actually be quite helpful. And I want to tell you why. Like, if you're training, eating well regularly, and you're pursuing a goal and keeping in presentable condition, the reality is, is that you're not probably going to be overweight or fat, as most people would put it. You're likely to be holding some extra body fat. And yes, you're not at your leanest, but you're still probably in relatively decent shape. Like if you can get comfortable with going on holiday, taking your shirt off of the pool, walking around in a bikini with a bit of a softer look, that's a major, major win because you're no longer controlled by your self-image. You'll no longer have to diet every time summer comes around. And if you can stay in a muscle building phase for longer, which is the biggest challenge as a coach to try and get people to stay in their muscle building phases long enough, you will likely to be able to make much more progress within your physique. And this is awesome in my eyes. And it also means that rather than focusing on how your abs look or how your bum looks in that bikini, you can actually just focus on enjoying what you're doing and let go to a degree. Like if you're unhealthy and overweight, I'm not encouraging this whatsoever. But if you're working towards a goal and you're just a little bit softer than usual, so what, right? And I'm making it sound easier than it actually is. And to be honest, it will take you some time to get there, but not having to stop your muscle building phase because you're going on holiday and being able to be okay with how you look can be really, really beneficial to your long-term goals. So, and onto the final point, I guess this is the straight answer coming through, is that you can, to a degree, build muscle whilst minimizing the body fat, but it's gonna be hard. And I kind of mentioned that earlier. So the people you see on Instagram who can seemingly do this like all the time, they're like part of the one to 5% of people who are genetically gifted or they are on some performance enhancing drugs. That's just the reality of the situation. The sooner we accept this, the better. So for most of us, it will require being meticulous with our calories. It will require to be on point the vast majority of the time of your training, your nutrition, your sleep, etc. It'll also require a lot of 
trust in the process too. Like unlike fat loss, muscle building is a slow game and the gains do not show overnight. The longer you get into your training career as well, the less muscle you're gonna gain with each muscle building phase you start. So to maintain that level of discipline without visually seeing the return on investment, it can be quite tough. And it's a different story to fat loss when because of the changes kind of come overnight. They come, you know, week on week. And it's very, very easy to see those changes. But with muscle building, patience and trust will have to be an all-time high. And to be honest, most people just don't have that discipline. And at the same time, most people don't need to have that discipline. If we refer back to my last point, you don't really need to do this. So now we've gone through all of the considerations, how might someone do it? I want to go through next. And it really comes down to being very strategic with your rate of body weight gain, which once again, most people don't think of during their building phases. So let's take an example here. If you ask someone who's going to lose weight, how much they want to lose total and how much they're going to be looking to lose on a weekly basis. Like sometimes it's a bit unrealistic in what they say, but they have a rough idea of this. However, if you ask someone how much weight they want to gain in a muscle building phase, um, how much that requires them to gain per month, how many calories that will require them to eat, they'll probably have an answer, maybe, but it's not going to be a good one. And I'd argue that most men, and that, yeah, I'm going to generalize here, and this again, taking myself as an example, they will be like, I want to be X number and they'll add like 500 to a thousand calories more to their day and quote unquote bulk. And most women will just kind of be unsure because if they've not really entered that territory before. And that's been my experience with both myself and the clients I've worked with as well. But returning to my point, I think most people I work with in general, we, when we're in a muscle building phase, we work between a one, 1.5, or even a 2% of body weight gain per month. And that is usually a good place to start. However, if it came to minimizing body fat, I think maybe 0.5% or even 0.25% initially might even be more practical. And if you take someone like myself, who's somewhere between 83 and 85 kilos over the course of six months at 0.5%, that'd still be three kilos. So I think that's quite a lot. So yeah, maybe we would go for 0.25% and that might be a better place to start. But if we look at it, it roughly equates to about 350 grams per month, which is barely anything. And this is what I mean by trusting the process. Imagine over the course of a year and you're an 80 kilo individual, let's say you're a 60 kilo individual, you might only gain between 1.5 and 2 kilos you are really going to have to trust the process. And with that being said, calories would probably have to move even slower and be even lower, to be completely honest. And you'd have to keep your nutrition on point for the most part as well. And then what you do after that, it'd be just a case of monitoring this, seeing if your body fat was climbing up quicker than you wanted to. And then maybe you'd have to hold your weight, your calories, your activities where it is for a month to allow things to settle if you know you go, high, you go higher than you wanted to too quickly. So it can be done, but it's challenging. And some Sometimes it might actually be worth gaining a little bit more body fat and having to not worry about these things so much because of this is the phase where you potentially want to be a bit more relaxed. It's just about making sure that that relax doesn't turn into you just being passive because the worst thing actually is when someone comes around to their second fat loss phase after going through their first muscle building phase and they come out looking a little bit better, they don't come out looking majorly better. And that's usually just because they didn't dedicate themselves quite as much as they did. And they were kind of, 
you know, doing things okay, but they didn't really commit and go all in on their training sessions. They compromised their sleep. They weren't that good with their nutrition. And they come around a year later and they're like, oh, well, I expected more. But you don't get results unless you work damn hard and building muscle it's not easy, right? I've said this and I'll repeat this again. I'm unfortunately delivering all these harsh truths that no one wants to hear, but someone has to give them to you, right? But one final note I will add is the longer you go through these phases of like building and dieting again, you'll generally find it's easier to stay leaner because your capacity to get leaner first and foremost will probably increase. You know, you'll generally get a little bit leaner each time. Like in the first fat loss phase, you might, and I'm giving you arbitrary numbers here, you might as a male drop down to 13%. The next you drop down to 10 and the next you drop down to nine, eight, because you stay leaner within that time. Like usually when most people start a fat loss phase, they're coming from being quite heavily overweight. So they've got like 10 kilos to shift, 15 kilos to shift. But if they do like a managed muscle building phase, they might only have seven kilos to shift this time. They might have eight kilos to shift. So naturally they can get a little bit leaner. And also they can have more muscle on their frame as well. So that's worth noting too. And actually I have one more point here as well is that it might be more beneficial for you to stay leaner in time, you know, as the years go on, due to the fact that, like I said earlier, it's like the longer you go within your muscle building pursuits, the harder each time it is going to be to build more muscle. So your capacity to build X amount of muscle is probably going to be used up quite a lot within your, I don't know, one, three, maybe five years. But once you get beyond that, the amount of muscle you're going to gain is going to be very minimal. So actually pushing to go for those high, high body weights might not even be that beneficial. So that wraps up that question. And that was a little bit more meaty than I was expecting. But on to the final question for today. And this one's a spicy one as well. So Elliot, is social media bad for your body image? So where do we begin with this one? Like, I feel like we should probably take quite a broad step back and take it outside of health and fitness for a second. And we can argue that social media has many pros and cons. Like I know some people who love it. It's a way of connecting the world to one another, you know, and then I have other people on the other hand who think it's the worst thing that ever exists. You know, they hate Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, no one should be on it. I'm not on the extreme side of any of these. I enjoy social media. I see a tremendous amount of value in it. I also see some potential negatives too, but that's the nature of anything, if I'm completely honest. And I know there's been times and days where I've been sucked into the social media black hole and I've spent way too much time using those platforms. But on the other hand, like I have a platform in which I can share health and fitness with people every single day, which would have been unheard of 20 years ago, unless I was traveling and doing seminars in different countries, right? So there's a tremendous amount of positives, especially for someone like myself. Like the fact that you found this podcast was probably as a byproduct of social media. So there are so many beautiful aspects to it, but just like anything in both extremes of the yeah, both extremes of the spectrum, you are going to find positives and negatives. So let's take a look at things when it comes to body image. And if you were to unlock my phone right now and you're going on Instagram, it would probably be less than five seconds before you see someone who's in shape. Due to the profession that I'm in, I'm connected to a lot of profiles of health and fitness professionals who are either showing photos of themselves, training videos, or posting, you know, transformation photos of their in shape clients. And due to the way that the wonderful IG uh, algorithm works, Instagram feels that along with dog photos, uh, you know, people's bodies are all that I want to see. But I digress. There's two ways in which we can look at this, right? Either you're on the one side of the coin and you think, damn, look at all these people who are training hard, they're in shape, I'm going to train hard and eat well so I can look, you know, just as good as these guys. Or you go, damn, that's inspirational, but not 
you know, not. I don't think I'm after that. You know, potentially what you might have thought when you went to the movies years ago and you would have seen Dwayne Johnson or Arnold Schwarzenegger, you'd be like, oh, that's cool. But yeah, I'm not. I'm, that's not. That's not really me. Um, and that's what you would think, you know, if you did see someone in the movies. But then there's the other side of this where you get overwhelmed by, oh wow, these people are in shape, and you start comparing yourself, and you know, maybe you're not training as hard as they are, or you get super disheartened as you feel like, yeah, I'm putting all this work in but I don't look as good as them. So I think it ultimately comes down to your perspective. Like where I've been fortunate is that I have the belief and hopefully some of you can adopt this if you don't already, is that if I really want to achieve something, I just need to put in a lot of work and years and be patient and eventually it will happen. Like I'm a hustler in that sense and I always will be. And as a professional, I've got a fortunate benefit here of having the eye to see, okay, is someone on performance enhancing drugs here? Because I know however hard I work, it's just not going to happen. I'm just not going to look like these people. So, you know, having those different perspectives in mind can be really, really helpful. And I will say that it has tripped me up in the past. And in the sense that it sometimes takes me away from my goals, or it kind of distracts me from my vision. Like when I was competing in the past, the season would begin, you know, and you'd start to see people who you follow begin in their diets, they get leaner week on week and even though you decided to take the year off competing to grow just like I mentioned in the last uh, question it was always tempting for me to just be like ah you know everyone else is getting lean they look good I want to get lean I'm just fluffy right now I know that I can compete next year but I really want to do it so from this point of view you do have to be careful as your environment in the past would have been the people you hang out with your family the city you live in etc however your environment now can be the people you follow on Instagram which can be a huge positive and help you level up in so many ways, but it can also do the absolute opposite, right? It can make you feel like you're not quite achieving as much. You're not as in shape, beautiful, handsome, flawless, etc., And that your everyday life seems quite boring compared to the influencer who's taking photos in the stairways of Mykonos one day. And then a week later, they're in the Maldives in a little hut taking photos of them and their little dog. So <laughs> the key here is self-awareness. And I think whether we like like it or not, the majority of us will find ourselves on one side of the spectrum or the other. Either it's incredibly aspirational to see people like this, or it's the root of making us feel dissatisfied and potentially have impacts on our mental health. And this is really where the individual themselves, so you listening right now, if you're, you're kind of relating with any of these, has to take ownership. Like the biggest challenge to this is accessibility. Like you can pull out your phone and in seconds be within an influencer's life. In the past, you just couldn't have done this, right? The, the closest thing we had was celebrities. And like I said, it was on the movies. It was, you know, in the magazines. You didn't have this access to people's lives. But if we put this into real life perspective, like if you found yourself going out to clubs every Friday and Saturday night, and just notice that they weren't making you feel that great. Maybe because the people around you made you feel self-conscious, maybe you're doing things that you didn't like when you were with them, like you could simply stop going. It would require a, like a conscious effort, but you know, you could stop going and you know, you might get a bit of peer pressure and everything along those lines, but you can distance yourself from that. Whereas with social media, it's going to take more effort because of you have to take these measures and put these boundaries in place around your phone usage because of it's so accessible. You have to delete the apps. You have to unfollow the people who are making you feel a certain way. And I think that's the larger challenge. It's just the accessibility. It's probably where it trips most people up as well. And I think it's also quite hard to realize, right? Going on your phone and on social media, maybe a normal part of your day that you've become accustomed to. And you might use it and quite enjoy it for connecting people, but 
there might be that other side to it that you might not realize is creeping in. Like if we go back to that, you know, that Friday, Saturday night example, like I almost feel it's easier to identify this because of, you know, you're going out on Friday, Saturday night, you notice you don't feel good when you're around these people. Whereas when you're on social media every evening and it's such a normal thing to do and there are aspects of it that you enjoy, it's a little bit harder to notice and pinpoint. It's a little bit more subtle in that sense. So all in all, I think there are aspects of social media that are absolutely fantastic, but I do believe there are parts that can be detrimental mental. But the same could be said about bars, pubs, casinos, etc. But because of the accessibility of socials and how easy it is to get caught in the social media black hole, we just need to be mindful of our usage, you know, how we feel when we use them. And if we don't feel that good, we need to put parameters in place so that we ultimately can avoid this. But it is down to you and it is your responsibility. And those are my thoughts on whether social media is ruining our body image. I could have definitely gone down the route of influencers airbrushing their photos and all these filters and everything along those lines, but that would just be far too exhausting. And I feel like I've, you know, covered a sufficient amount. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys. And if you did, and you would like to put one huge, huge smile on my face, please screenshot this, post it on your IG stories and let me know what you thought. I am listening. I am talking, I should say to you right now. If you're still listening, I am talking to you. And if you happen to be listening on Apple podcasts, give us a five-star rating, a review. And as always, I will be immensely grateful. So thank you so much for listening, guys. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.